Here's another Bible study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Acts chapter 14, and I didn't really give this one a title, but actually we're going to be talking about the, the end of... Uh, we're, we're going to be wrapping up Paul's first missionary journey. That's what this uh, chapter is all about. And to give you a little bit of an idea, especially if you weren't here last week, in chapter 13, uh, the apostles, Paul and Barnabas, had just left Antioch and Pisidia. And I put a map up there. It's not a really two scale, perfectly to scale. It's, it's, it's just give you a rough idea, basically. But they had just left Antioch in Pisidia, for Iconium, and you can see that with, uh, hopefully you can see that with the white arrow on the map. And so I'm going to pick it up at chapter 14, verse 1. Now what happened in Iconium, that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews, and so spoke that a great multitude of both the Jews and the Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. As we're, we noticed before, and we're going to start seeing throughout the rest of the chapters of, book, of the book of Acts, wherever Paul goes, the first thing he does is he goes to his synagogue and preaches to the Jews there. Hey, the Messiah, the promised Messiah is here. He's alive. He died on the cross. He rose again from the dead. He's here. God is, the Father has, has fulfilled his promises to the Jews. And so that was Paul's pattern to go there. And he would probably stay there as long as people were receiving the word and, and, and growing in the faith. There's going to be a couple times where he'll leave the synagogue and he'll go to the Gentiles. And uh, we'll see that as we go through the book of Acts. But his pattern, first of all, was to come to the synagogue. Now what's interesting is that it says that they, and it's speaking about Paul and Barnabas, went together to the synagogue of the Jews. If you recall last week, I mentioned all the verses leading up to chapter 13, verse 13. All those verses, as I read them, Barnabas is preeminent. Barnabas is first, he's either mentioned first, or he's preeminent in all those verses leading up to verse 13. And then all of a sudden there's a switch, and it says Paul and his party. And I talked about that last week. I wonder how Barnabas felt about that. Well, Barnabas was willing to be second. He was willing to not have his name be on the, on the top banner. You know, my name first and then yours. No, he was willing to set himself aside and be uh, second. There was no envy with Barnabas, no jealousy, and no rivalry either. Barnabas didn't like strike out on his own with a competing ministry there in, in Iconium. You know, okay, Paul, you go do your thing. I'm going to go do my thing. There was no rivalry, no competition. It says that they went together to the synagogue. Later on in verse 12, we're going to read Barnabas, they're going to call Zeus and Paul Hermes because Paul, he was the chief speaker. So Paul is really taking the lead here, and yet it did not bother Barnabas that Paul was leading. And the first point I think is good to point out is that authentic unity in ministry, it speaks volumes. And you notice I said authentic unity. That means from the heart. Because, I mean, we can all be here and, you know, we can play church and have the smiles and everything, but where's our heart? Authentic ministry, 
authentic unity, unity excuse me, in ministry, it speaks volumes to the world. Why? Because Jesus said in John 13, verse 35, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so it says that they spoke, they spoke, uh, they so spoke, excuse me, that a great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Greeks, believed. What they said had an effect on the people, on the listeners, and a great multitude is said of both of Jews and Gentiles. Now, when it's speaking about the Greeks, what it means is the Jewish pros or the Gentile proselytes, those that were wanting to become Jews, basically. They, they wanted to adopt Judaism. So they're there at the synagogue as well. And a great multitude believed. Well, it makes you wonder, what did they say that would cause a great multitude of both Jews and Gentile proselytes to put their faith in Christ Jesus. Well, in verse 3, it says that they were speaking boldly in the Lord. In the Lord. That word in there is the Greek word epi, which means upon. Epi toai kurioi. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm slaughtering the Greek. But basically what that means is upon the basis of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words... They didn't come to the synagogue and share their opinions. Now, you know, it's fine to have an opinion, and it's fine to share your opinion. Today we're in a culture where, you know, it's, if, if your opinion's not what someone wants to hear, you know, you can get pretty, you're a hater, you're evil, you know, you're all this stuff. You're a Nazi, you're all this stuff. If you, but it's okay to share your opinions. But listen, I, I just want you to understand something. Your opinions about politics, the economy, the state of the world, it's not going to draw someone to Jesus Christ. You may draw them to your opinion, but if you want to draw them to the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not your opinion that's going to do that. Your pet theological positions, you know, your positions on whether you're a Calvinist or an Arminian or, or where you are in between that, or maybe your position on once saved, always saved. That's kind of a buzz thing that people are like, well, do you believe in once saved, always saved? Your, your, your position on that, or maybe your position on the cessation or the continuation of the gifts of the Spirit. You know, are the, are the gifts of the Spirit valid for the church today, or, or did they cease with the apostles? Whatever your opinion is about that, that's not even going to draw someone to the Lord Jesus Christ. You might draw someone to your theological bent or whatever. You may, you may get someone to agree with you that, into your position. But if you want to draw people into a relationship with Jesus Christ, your conversation needs to be based upon the Lord Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's what's going to change hearts. So the next point is, what's your message? What's your message? What, what, what are you speaking about when you're meeting with people? In verse 2 it says, But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Now, one thing I want to point out there, unbelieving Jews. So then these would have been Jewish people raised up through Judaism that... You know, they heard about Jesus the Messiah, and they said, I, I don't believe it. He's not the promised Messiah. We're, and then maybe they had some verses or some reasons why they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Listen, that's not what caused them to cause all these problems. It wasn't because they, like, you're in a, you, you believe theologically that Jesus, and we don't agree, so that's why. No, the Bible says it was because of envy. It was because of envy that they did that. We see that in Acts chapter 13, verse 45. 
Listen, great multitudes were coming to faith in Christ Jesus. So they had a successful ministry, and the attention was being drawn away from these Jewish leaders to the apostles. It was because of envy. Envy is a powerful, powerful emotion. Envy can make people do very many. In fact, envy is why they, the Jews wanted to kill Jesus. Envy can cause you to murder someone if you don't get control over it. In verse 3 it says, well, let me read verse 2. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. And then look at verse 3. Therefore, therefore, they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So that kind of raises a question. Did they stay there a long time because there was a great multitude of believers? Hey, man, there's a lot, there's, this is a successful ministry here. Or was it because, hey, these guys are really oppressing us. There's a lot of persecution here. We're going to stay. <laughs> what was it? Does it make you wonder? I think it was because of both. Both reasons. There was work to be done there in spite of the opposition. You see, Jesus didn't say, go into all the nations and make converts. Jesus said, go into all the nations and make disciples of all nations. And so here's these people coming in that are poisoning the minds of people. They're, they're, they're taking whatever Paul is saying and they're trying to tear it down. And so Paul and Barnabas are looking at these disciples, these young people that have come to, young believers, and man, we've got to stay here. We've got we to build a foundation so that the enemy can't steal the seed, just like in the parable of the sower and the seed. And so I think that's why they stayed there. It didn't matter if they were uh, being persecuted or not because that wasn't their purpose. Their purpose was to plant a foundation there. And so because Paul was and Barnabas were speaking boldly in the Lord, it says the Lord was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Notice something here. Notice that signs and wonders bear witness to the word not the other way around. Signs and wonders bear witness to the word. And also notice that the Lord granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Never lose focus on the source of the signs and wonders. It's the Lord, it's not us. I think sometimes, you know, we can get a big head if we see the Lord moving through us and working through us. And sometimes we think, look, it, it's, it's these hands that are doing this. You know, it's, it's not, it's the Lord. Verse 4. But the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Jews and the by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding region. And they were preaching the gospel there. So they're, they're preaching here, they're discipling people, and then they get wind of this plot to kill them. And so they flee the city, and they go to Lystra. Verse 8. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Paul didn't go to Lystra to do miracles. 
Paul didn't go to Lystra to heal people. That wasn't his ministry. Paul went to Lystra to preach the word, not to heal. And notice that it doesn't mention that he walked into a synagogue. And I just said, that was his pattern. You know, he would go to places where there was a synagogue. He'd go there first. Well, in those days, to have a synagogue in a city, there had to be 10 devout Jewish men. And so we can maybe assume, scriptures don't tell us, we can assume that maybe there wasn't 10 devout Jewish men. So this is a predominantly Gentile city. And another clue is, in verse 9, it says that the man, the lame man, heard Paul speaking. And that word speaking in the Greek, it means to talk at random. As contrasted with lego, not the legos, the little blocks, but lego, which involves the intellectual part of man, his reason. What it means, why that Greek word speaking was used, was that Paul wasn't delivering a sermon in a synagogue. Paul was most likely just talking about Jesus in the marketplace. And the man overheard heard Paul speaking. Listen, you and I, we don't always have to preach a sermon. Some of you are like, I'm glad about that. Hopefully, people are just hearing our conversation, right? We're just sharing about Jesus Christ. And they're hearing us talking about it out in public. And so this man hears Paul speaking. It says, Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Paul, observing him, intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed you know what the next point is here is the individual matters the individual matters you know think about it paul and barnabas had just left a city where there's multitudes i don't know how much a multitude is but more than one right there's a a large group of people that are coming to faith in the lord both gentiles and jews and here Paul focuses on one individual in the marketplace. I don't know how many of you guys remember the Billy Graham Crusades. I remember them. I never attended one in purpose, uh, in purpose, in person. Man, I need more coffee maybe or something. I don't know. Um, I never attended a Billy Graham Crusade in person, but whenever they were on TV, because they used to broadcast them, you know, prime time, the major stations, my parents, they'd sit down, they loved to listen to George Beverly Shea, and whether you wanted to or not, you were going to listen to Billy Graham. And so we'd sit there for a couple hours and listen to Billy Graham. So I remember the Crusades well. I've watched many of them on television. One of the things that I remember from that is at the end of, of Billy Graham's sermon, the choir would start singing Just As I Am. You guys remember that? Just, you know, and, and, he, and he would say, as the choir is singing, if you want to come down and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you come on down in front. And there would be people that would just be streaming down into the front. And so Billy Graham had left an area in the front for the believers to come down. Now, I don't know how many of you were, were at the God Loves You tour, this recent one here in Rochester, but it was different. There was no, okay, you guys can come down in front. We've reserved the spot in the front for you guys to come down. It was just like everybody was up to the stage, and he just said, stand up where you are. And then those of us and you and many people that were the prayer counselors, as soon as someone stood up, we were like, okay, we went over and kind of wiggled your way to and, and prayed with them. I wondered why 
Franklin Graham would do that differently than Billy Graham. And what I found out is that Franklin just wants people up close to him. He wants that closeness. And that's why he does it that way. Listen, what would you be thinking if you're looking out at a group of, of thousands of people? I mean, there was, what, 8,000 people, I think, in Rochester, this one, coming and looking at you. What, you know what I'd be thinking? I hope my fly is not down. <laughs> I mean, I hope, I hope I, you know, I got my buttons buttoned up right now. No. What would you be thinking? They're all here to listen to me. You know what? Somebody asked Franklin Graham, what do you think when you have this mass of people in front of you? And you know what he said? I look at each person's face and I wonder what their story is. He cares about the individual. We need to care about the individual. Sometimes we can get, we can lose focus. We can lose, sometimes we just think ministry and then we forget ministry is people. We got to look at the individual and the individual does matter. Jesus example that many times in the gospel. And so Paul is looking intently at this lame man and he sees that he has faith to be healed. And right away I think, well, what does that look like? <laughs> you know, what does, it look, does he have this look like? You know, I mean, it's like, what was the look on his face? Well, the Holy Spirit revealed it to Paul. The Holy Spirit gave Paul spiritual discernment regarding the man. And so the Spirit's speaking to Paul. The Spirit's giving him a, a, a glimpse into this man's soul. And, and, and he sees that he has faith to be healed. And so Paul acts in faith. I mean, can you imagine? You're sitting there. There's a lame person. Maybe they're in a wheelchair here. And the Lord's laying on your heart. Hey, this person, he, they have faith to be healed. What would you do? I hope that's the Lord speaking, right? I mean, that took a step of faith for Paul to say, hey, rise up, stand up. So there's faith going on in Paul's heart telling the man to stand up. What about the man sitting in the wheelchair? Well, obviously he wasn't in a wheelchair, but the man who was lame from birth. I mean, listen, I've been this way from birth. I've never stood up. Now you're asking me to stand up. It would have been faith on his part to hear Paul and, and actually stand up. And so Paul is acting in faith. The man is responding in faith. And what happens? A miraculous healing takes place. And I don't want to offend anybody, but this is not a Benny Hinn meeting where people are pre-selected ahead of time. You know, we're going to have you come forward, you know, at the end. This is authentic. This man never walked before, crippled from birth. He's able to stand up and walk. It's a medically verifiable healing. And I know that there are people that have been medically verifiably healed. I've heard of that. People in our, in our fellowship here that had cancer, and the doctors, it's gone. It's a, it, so God still heals. But it's a verifying, verifiable healing. What's interesting about this is it's very similar to the healing of the lame man by Peter in Acts chapter 3. It's very similar. Peter's looking at this man and, and, and tells him to rise up and walk. You remember that story in Acts chapter 3. I think it's very important that Luke included this in Acts chapter 14 because the same spirit that's working in one of the original 12 apostles is also the same spirit at work in Paul, who he described himself as an apostle born out of due time. I think it's very important that that was there because Paul is going to have people say that, well, you're not really one of the, the apostles. You know, and that's going to happen later on in his ministry. Verse 11, 
Now when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. The people there, these Gentiles, they didn't miss the fact that a genuine miracle had taken place. They knew that this guy was lame from birth. They saw a genuine miracle take place. But listen, that miracle didn't lead him to faith in Christ Jesus. Yeah, a miracle had taken place, but it didn't lead him to faith in Christ Jesus. In the Lyaconian language, and the reason why Luke says that is because Paul and Barnabas don't speak Lyaconian, obviously. And so these people are saying, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Paul and Barnabas are sitting there, they're seeing all this commotion, and they probably have to have a translator. So what, what's going on? Well, they say, you're gods that have come down in the, in the form of men. I don't think Paul and Barnabas immediately knew what the crowds were saying. You know, it's interesting, that phrase, the gods have come down in the likeness of men. You know, Satan... Satan wants to counterfeit any genuine work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Any work of the Spirit, Satan wants to counterfeit. And so look at, there's a counterfeit incarnation. The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. That's a counterfeit incarnation. And then this priest from the temple of Zeus tries to do a sacrifice. Again, a counterfeit sacrifice. And so the people are praising and, and they're wanting to worship Paul and Barnabas. And you know, this is a dangerous point, I think, for Paul and Barnabas. Ray Steadman said this, What a chance for these apostles to take over the city on their own terms. What a subtle attack this flattery was. Sometimes popularity is the weapon Satan employs most successfully of all to ruin the presentation of the gospel. Jack Arnold said this, Satan could not destroy the gospel through persecution, so he tried to destroy the apostles through an ego trip. The most subtle satanic attack on any Christian worker is when men want to worship the worker rather than the Lord, to put the worker on the pedestal rather than Christ. This was probably a very dangerous point for Paul and Barnabas. Verse 14, but when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all the things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. You'll recall back in chapter 13, Paul's audience was Jewish. He had Jewish men and women, uh, a Jewish audience and a Jewish proselyte audience who believed in Jehovah and who knew the Old Testament scriptures. But here, Paul is preaching to a completely Gentile audience with no knowledge of the scriptures. So what does he do? Remember I said there's the core gospel, as we talk about the core gospel points. Well, first of all, they were about to worship Paul and Barnabas' gods. 
And Paul's point is, hey, we're not gods. We're men with the same nature as you. And then the second thing he does is he takes them to the beginning, to Genesis. God who created the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. He's basically saying, we are preaching to you about the living God, the creator of everything. And then the third thing he says, God allowed the non-Jewish nations, is what he's referring to, walk in their own ways. But even while they were walking in their own ways, he gave them evidences of his love and his care for them. He gave them seasons. He gave them rain. These are agricultural you know, communities. And so rain and seasons is very important. He gave them blessings of food and happiness. In other words, what he is saying is there's one true God and God loves you. Remember shared that in the gospel last? That's like, what's that's the first core truth? There is a God and he loves you. He has a plan and a purpose for your lives. So basically Paul's message up to this point is we're not gods. And the idols that they worship were not gods either. So that would have been like, what? Their religion was wrong. It was useless. There is one true God. That's what, that's what he's communicating. He's allowed you to continue in your ways until now. Until now, until the day that Paul is there sharing the gospel with them. They would have to turn from or forsake their useless religion if they were to accept what Paul is telling them. In other words, they had to turn from their idols and they had to turn to Jesus Christ. They couldn't just add Jesus Christ to their pantheon of gods that they worshipped. This is my next point. Faith in the finished work of Christ Jesus is exclusive to all of their beliefs and practices. There are people today that want to add faith in Christ to whatever other stuff they believe. I just yesterday got a, a Billy Graham Evangelistic Association newsletter, and Franklin Graham is preparing to preach in Mex Mexico City. And I was reading the, the thing, and I thought, oh, I've got to add that in here. It says, even among professing Christians in Mexico, a shocking number hold beliefs directly opposed to Scripture, including the possibility of reincarnation. So there's, belie there's believers in Mexico that profess to be Christians, evangelical Christians, and yet they believe in reincarnation. And we look in our culture today, and there's people that believe in all kinds of weird stuff that's not Scripture. It says also, one of the primary religions in the city and the country as a whole worships death itself. Santa Muerte uses Catholic imagery to disguise satanic witchcraft. And although it was mainly practiced inside drug cartels at first, this evil religion is gaining followers from every walk of life at an alarming rate. Man, that's the enemy. That's the enemy at work. Hey, you can just add Jesus Christ to whatever you believe. It just, it's just another, it's another way to heaven. No, the gospel, what Jesus Christ did on the cross, faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, it, it, it's exclusive. We don't, we don't have an inclusive faith. I'm, I'm sorry to say that. An inclusive in that anybody can come to faith in Christ. But they have to turn from their sin and turn to Jesus Christ. I mean, that's just, that's just it. You can't, you can't have both. Well, they're, they're saying this to the crowds, probably through an interpreter, obviously. And it says, verse 18, with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. They don't care. They're like, man, we, we love you guys. Well, then about this time, those unbelieving, envious Jews from Antioch and Iconium, they, that they do the same thing that they did in Iconium. They show up and they oppose the gospel message. 
And they're trying to poison the minds of the believers. Look at verse 19. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconian came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. He wasn't dead. He wasn't, he wasn't resurrected. He, 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 he was, they supposed him to be dead. Luke, who's recording this, was a physician. And he says that they supposed Paul to be dead. You know, when you stone somebody, you're probably aiming at their head, right? Because, I mean, you're, you hit their arms, and that's not going to kill them. Maybe eventually it would, but, you know, you're aiming for their head. So he's getting hit in the head with rocks. And with blows to the head from the stones, he probably got hit by one that just knocked him down, knocked him unconscious, more than likely. And they looked at him, and he looked dead to them. So they drag his unconscious body outside of the city. Now what's interesting, in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul shares this insight, and he doesn't say who it is, but a lot of people believe that what just happened, what we just read about, Paul describes... In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 2, let me read it to you. It says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body I do not know, God knows, he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. A lot of people, myself included, believe that this is Paul. That at that moment, he had a vision, was brought up to heaven, had a vision, and, and, and uh, so he didn't die. But listen, if somebody reportedly dies and then they return to life with a message from heaven, and we hear about that every once in a while, I'm always suspect. Because Paul, first of all, he doesn't say anything about what he saw. He heard things. And then they say, you can't even say it. <laughs> I can't even say it. And so for someone who says, hey, I was up there and, you know, I have this message. I go, yeah, I'm not so sure about that. I'm not sure. Maybe you had a lot of pizza last night or something. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways. Verse 20. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day, he departed with Barnabas to Derby. You know, Paul wrote this also in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. He says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but we're not destroyed always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Man, Paul wrote that thing, and he lived it. He lived it. Almost left for dead, stoned and left for dead. And he gets up, and he's got scars. You know, they, they talk about the thorn in the flesh. That well, Paul talks about the thorn in the flesh. It's quite possibly it could have been something that occurred as a result of this stoning that took place. What a testimony. He goes right back into the city. Would you do that? <laughs> they, they just threw stones at you, and they tried to kill you, and they didn't succeed, and then you're going to get up and go right back into the city. That's what Paul did. What a testimony to the disciples there, the ones that had just come to faith in the Lord, and even to those who stoned him. Listen, the world 
and other believers are watching how we live our lives. And I know we all go through difficult times. Maybe sometimes we go through times of just the Lord just blessing us and it's great season. Have you ever had that where someone says, hey, is there anything I can, I can pray for you? And you go, you know, right now, man, the Lord, we're in a good place right now. That's awesome. It's, don't ever feel ashamed of saying that because the Lord gives us those, those opportunities, those windows of just, just blessing. But he also gives us those times of trials, heartaches, difficulties, difficulties. And you know, the Lord, or the people are watching. They're watching your life because they have the same difficulties. They have the same, you know, happy times and bad times and stuff. But they're watching how you live your life. Do you, you know, you, you say you believe in Jesus Christ. Well, how does that work out? How does that work out while you have cancer? They're watching how we live our lives. And so they go back into the city and then they go to Derby. Derby is Lyconian for juniper tree. It's about 47 miles south and east from Lystra. So the map is not really totally accurate, but it's about 47 miles south and east from Lystra. This distance reinforces the fact that Paul was miraculously healed for no man stoned almost to death could undertake a 47-mile trek, which would take two to three days on foot. So he's left for dead one day, goes into the city the next morning. The next day they're, on, they're, they're traveling, two to, three, two to three days, 47 miles on foot. What an amazing man. Derby, I come to find out, is near the Cilician Gates. I, I didn't know much about it, but apparently there's a place called the Cilician Gates, which would not be that far removed from Paul's birthplace in Tarsus. So if you look at the map and you, you think about that, so the guys just got stoned, right? They, I, mean, they, I mean, you can't get much more persecution than that, right? I mean, they, they try to kill you, and they almost succeed. You get up. What would you do? Man, home is just over the hills over there. What would you do? It would be tempting, wouldn't it? I'm going to go back to Tarsus. I'm going to recover. I'm going to rest up. I'm going to store, and, and then I'm going to go on and start ministering. What a temptation that would have been. But Paul didn't do that. Instead, Paul goes to Derby. Verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. You know what Paul's concern was? Man, these baby believers, they just came to faith in the Lord. We need to strengthen them. We need to make sure that the enemy hasn't got a hold of them. That's making disciples. That's caring enough to be and take the next step. And so they returned through those cities, strengthening their souls. It says, exhorting them to continue in the faith by saying, we must through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. One thing I just got to tell you about our gospel, we don't preach a prosperity gospel. As much as I'd love to say God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise for the rest of your life, God loves you. He's got a plan and your purpose, but it may involve suffering. It may involve sickness and disease. We don't preach 
a prosperity gospel. Jesus said this in John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. You're going to have tribulation. John 15, verse 20, Jesus said this to his disciples. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. You know, I, I think of my life in our lives in general. I can't speak to everybody here, but in my life in general. And I think, man, I've been in a bubble where I haven't really faced persecution and, you know, God's sovereign. God knows what he's doing. I mean, I'm thankful I'm not being persecuted, but, you know, I think we're an anomaly. <laughs> I think persecution, I believe as a nation anyways, we are drawing close to being persecuted for our faith. I mean, it's just look at the news, read the things, the laws that are getting passed. There's coming a point where for you and I, it's going to cost a lot more than it has in the past to be a Christian the cost is going to rise. It's going to continue rising. Persecution is coming. But again, how do you deal with it? People are watching how we, how we deal with persecution. People are watching our lives. Verse 23. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So Paul's going back to these cities and they're raising up and appointing elders in every church. They're praying with fasting and they're commending them to the Lord. You know, later on, Paul would write to a young pastor named Timothy, 1 Timothy 5.22. He'd say, do not lay hands on anyone hastily. And, and he kind of shares why. You know, the young, young believer, they could get puffed up and it could just go south really quick. Why does Paul do actually, it seems like he's almost doing the opposite of what he told young Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.12. Well, if you think about it, in a lot of these churches, remember Paul would go to the synagogues first. In a lot of these churches, there probably were Jews who came to faith in Christ Jesus. These guys, these, these Jews that come to faith in Christ Jesus, they've got a rich background in Old Testament scriptures. And now they're seeing Jesus as the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And man, they can hit the ground running. Because all of a sudden now, it, everything's clicking spiritually. We had a young man that came to faith in the Lord here at our church, and he was a Jewish guy. And within a couple weeks, he was sitting down with me sharing some insights that he'd have. And I'm like, dude, that's awesome. Where'd you get that? Well, you know, I just, we always read this, and now I see it, you know. And that's amazing. So that's what's taking place in these cities. You know, if you have a bunch of Gentile believers with no prior experience to scriptures, they have no understanding of scriptures, they're pagans, basically, it would take a little bit more, no, 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 reincarnation is not part of, you know, they, they take a lot of, you know, a lot of discipling. And so I think about that, and I think, you know, God knew what he was doing. You know, he's here, he's, he's planted, he's placed these Jewish people here to hear the gospel. They're hearing the gospel, they're getting, and now it all clicks and they can, they can just start ministering right away in that time frame. And, and I think, you know, God's going to build his church. God brings people to churches, God raises up people, God gives people gifts, and, and they're, it's for a purpose, they're to serve. I, I love that, how the Lord does that. So the Lord was building the churches there. Verse 24, 
And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. Now when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. Verse 26. From there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them, and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. And this is my last point. There are no lone rangers in the kingdom. There are no lone rangers in the kingdom. Paul and Barnabas were sent out from Antioch, laid hands on, prayed for, commended to go and preach the gospel. They go and they return. What a testimony to their faithfulness. Hey, we did. We, we fulfilled that call. We, we, we're here. So they showed their faithfulness in returning to the church at Antioch. They completed that calling that the Lord had laid on their hearts. And then the fellowship. Think of the stories. I mean, we're reading some of them, but think of all the stories Paul and Barnabas could share about how the Lord met them in the most difficult situations, how the Lord was faithful, how the Lord protected them, how the Holy Spirit would just move in someone's heart. And they come. Think of all the stuff that they could share to encourage those believers in Antioch. Man, God's doing amazing things. And then they needed food. I'm not talking food, food, although they probably did. Hey, you got any, got any falafels or anything, you know? Um, but spiritual food. They're back again with the disciples. They're getting recharged. They're, they're reading scriptures. They're being encouraged so that they can go out again and minister. What a beautiful thing. I, I see just that full circle of faithfulness, fellowship, and food. And, you know, that's the thing is there are no lone rangers in the kingdom. We need each other. We need each other. We need each other for fellowship. We need each other for faithfulness. I, I mean, I want to see how you're faithful, Although, how you're faithful in whatever the Lord's laid on your heart. When you're faithful, it encourages me. It encourages me in my life when I see your faithfulness. And hopefully, when you see my faithfulness, it's encouraging you. And then, you know, when I shared, as we go through scriptures, you know, and I'm, I'm so blessed by so many of you that said, you know, I'm reading through scriptures. I'm so blessed by that because, you know, you can encourage, man, this is what the Lord showed me. Man, this is what I saw this week, man. And, and you can encourage one another. And we can say, hey, you know, this is what happened this week and the Lord met me in this situation. We can encourage one another. That's why we're here together, to encourage one another. And then to be fed, to hear the word of God, to, to grow in our faith and, and to be prepared so that we can go out into this world and minister. That's a purpose for fellowship. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews, not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the habit of some. And you know, for some people, it, it, their habit is not to get together. I, don't, I can just watch the live stream, or I can just watch, you know, I, I can watch, well, I can't watch Billy Graham. I guess you could watch old Billy Graham reruns, but you know, I can watch a TV show, my favorite pastor on TV, and yeah, you can do that. But I think you're missing a big chunk of what the Lord wants in all of our lives, and that's fellowship, to be together. And he says not to forsake the assembling ourselves together as the habit of some, especially as we see the day approaching. The day. I, I can tell you, I see the day approaching. How much more important it is for us to be together so I can see your faithfulness, you can see my faithfulness. 
We can fellowship, encourage, edify one another, and we can glean from one another. That's what I love about Wednesday night Bible studies. We don't have a huge turnout that comes on Wednesday nights, but you know the people that come, they love the word, they share. You know, I'm not, I don't have a monopoly on the understanding of scripture. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not. <laughs> I don't have a monopoly on the truth. So I learn too. Sometimes people say, you know, I see this in scripture. I go, well, I didn't even see that. And here I'm, I'm the pastor, I'm supposed to, and I don't. We can encourage one another, we can help each other. That's the whole purpose for fellowship. And so, um, so Paul and Barnabas, they finished their first missionary trip. And we'll see what happens next in chapter 15. But we're going to go ahead and have communion this morning. Uh, just we're gathered together. It'd be a great time to do it. It's the first Sunday of the month. So um, I'll have the worship team come on up here. I want to pray. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I thank you for uh, the testimony that we have of Paul's and Barnabas's first missionary trip. Lord, we have recordings, the writings that describe his second and third missionary journeys. Lord, we can get encouraged through that. Lord, we can learn how you're faithful and how you provided and protected and, and guided them. And here Paul, almost almost killed, left for dead, and yet he just gets up and starts ministering. Lord, what a, what a testimony that is to each one of us, Lord. Lord, may we have the, the uh, spiritual stamina, Lord, the, the faith that Paul had. The faith to trust you for miracles, the faith to walk in obedience, and Lord, the, the, uh, the faithfulness, just to be faithful to whatever you've called us to. So Lord, I thank you for that testimony, and may it encourage us this morning, Lord God. Lord, we thank you for what you did in their lives, Lord. Their faithfulness trickles all the way down to this generation, Lord. We are here as Gentile believers because of their ministry to the Gentiles, Lord. So we just rejoice in that. We thank you for your word this morning. Lord, as we uh, turn our hearts to this last worship song and we celebrate communion, Lord, I pray that, uh, Lord, you would just do a work in our hearts this morning, that, Lord, we would leave here encouraged, that we'd leave here uh, just more in love with you this morning for your faithfulness and your goodness in our lives. We love you and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I'm going to read this passage, and then we're going to go ahead and worship, and, uh, and then we'll partake of communion together. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, The cup... This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. You know, Paul would eventually be martyred for his faith. We, we, it's not recorded in scripture, but we have early church history that, that documents, uh, we can glean from that Paul eventually died. But at this point here in chapter 13, or 14, he didn't die. But 
Jesus Christ, our Savior, he came to earth. God in the form of man came and lived among us, lived that perfect life that you and I couldn't live. He died for the sins that we couldn't pay the penalty for. If we were, if we were crucified on a cross, we'd just, we'd die. Okay, we just, that's it. But Jesus Christ paid the penalty and rose again from the dead. And so every time we celebrate communion, we're remembering what Jesus Christ did for us. And we're gathering together as a body to share that together. Because I have the same Holy Spirit that you have in you. We have that common bond, and that's the salvation through Jesus Christ. So um, just we're going to sing this last song and uh, <clears throat> reflecting on Jesus Christ, our Messiah. As soon as the worship starts, or yeah, as soon as the worship starts, I invite you to come forward and take a communion element and bring it back to your chair, and we'll partake together. <clears throat>